Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott, physically distancing as always. Hello, Scott. Wow, Sean, that was really loud. Uh, <laughs> guess you're feeling pretty amped up here on a, a rainy Tuesday in Ottawa. Yeah, rainy Tuesday night here in the nation's capital, but I'll take you behind the scenes that I've just spent 20 minutes fiddling and faddling with my microphone. It appears to be okay right now, but uh, I'm very glad that the fiddle faddle worked. Uh, what's faddling? <laughs> I don't know. The opposite of fiddling. The opposite. Oh. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, let's not delve any deeper into that, uh, Sean. <laughs> good, uh, good, good Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Delightful Thanksgiving weekend here. I made some turkey. I made some, uh, uh, stuffing, which is my favorite part of the Thanksgiving meal, a little pumpkin pie. It was delightful Thanksgiving weekend. How about you? Boy, look out, look out. Uh, No such uh, culinary feats over here. I, you know, followed our uh, leader's advice and didn't see anybody all weekend. So, uh, you know, I I ate uh, for me. I didn't feel the need to show off with uh, Thanksgiving (laughs) food. I I can do it. I've made it all before. Eh, what am I well, trying? Good to prove? for you, Scott. Thanks, thanks. I tried to make uh, an omelet yesterday, but it, I couldn't flip it. You know, you know, to get it, yeah. in, you know. So it ended up just being scrambled eggs. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't quite work out that well. Uh, not that great, but yeah. uh, what can you do? All taste the same, I suppose. I but it's all presentation. Yeah, and I'm presenting to, to myself, and I don't really care. <laughs> Okay. All right. So, uh, so I hope everyone out there had a great weekend, whether you were celebrating Thanksgiving or not. Hope you had a great weekend. And over the weekend, there was a little bit of curling that we just want to touch on real quick. Out in KW, there was the Toronto Stew Cells. We had some fun with Curling Geek over the way this was worded because it is the Toronto event but it was being played in KW where all the events in Southern Ontario have been played to this point. So we were joking that it was the Toronto stew cells of KW that's in the GTA right down the road from Toronto's Pearson airport, which is in Mississauga. So a <laughs> lot of, uh, a lot of different locations there, but it's West of Toronto is basically where this was. And uh, we had a men, men's event, women's event, fewer teams than last weekend because of the teams that have dropped out or did drop out owing to the situation where one of the members of Glenn's Howard, Glenn Howard's team was in uh, a close contact with someone who tested positive as discovered through the app. Fortunately, that member tested negative for COVID as did everybody else around the spiel. So good news there. Well, we did have fewer teams in the field on the women's side, Lauren Mann, who we're familiar with has represented Quebec in the Scotties before she beats Jennifer Jones in the final and a great start to the season for Jennifer Jones, her and Brent Lang win the mixed doubles event. And then last week she won on the women's side and now a final 
here. So great start for Jennifer Jones to the season. Over on the men's side, John Epping and Glenn Howard continue their tradition of playing extraordinarily low-scored finals by John Epping winning that game 3-2 to two in the final, Scott. So what, what are your takeaways from the KW's two cells? Uh, I, I think we've got John Epping and Glenn Howard living up to expectations uh, in playing the kind of game that they're so famous for, as you mentioned. Uh, and uh, Team Lauren Mann, this is a really interesting new team this year. Uh, Kira Brunton is playing third, former uh, junior skip out of uh, Northern Ontario. I believe skipped on the ladies' side uh, for the last year or two as well. Uh, a really talented player, uh, getting some some sort of tutelage under the more experienced man uh, who is a longtime skip playing out of Quebec. Uh, I've teamed up with uh, two players, uh, Cheryl Kroviazic and Karen Trines uh, from the Ottawa area. So uh, a really interesting team, a really good team. Uh, All of these players have pedigrees and for them to go and knock off Jennifer Jones, you know, uh, in a pretty decisive fashion too, I believe the score was seven to one. Uh, I'm really interested to see how this team is going to play throughout the season and if we get to an Ontario championship, uh, what sort of a fight they could put up. Uh, I, th- I think they've got the talent to do it. I know Rachel Homan's team is is great, but uh, I'm expecting a lot from this team. Yeah, as you look around Ontario on the women's side, you are looking at who is going to be that challenger to Rachel Homan. Certainly, Lauren Mann, that is a team that could meet that challenge. There's a couple other teams that we've seen rejigged throughout the province. So it will be interesting mm-hmm. to see some of the results as we go through the season and who emerges in that number two slot in Ontario as we go into the Ontario playdowns. We had another event of note out west, the McKee Holmes Championship that was played out in Alberta. This is the first event of the season for Kevin Cooey and their streaming program that they're doing for the season. Uh, Kevin Cooey got through the A-side undefeated in the uh, ABC draw, the triple knockout that they did there. But Kevin Cooey loses in the quarterfinal to Aaron Slachinski. And in the final of this event, we have Ryan Jacques beating Karsten Sturme in the final. So given who was in the field, I don't know how many people would have picked Ryan Jacques at the start of the week. But congratulations to him. Good result for Carson Sturme as well. And, and certainly a lot of respect to Aaron Slichinski. We've seen him and his team in the Alberta playdowns have some pretty good results. So a, a nice start to the season for everybody out there. And I think Kevin Cooey, if you were to talk to him at the end of this event, they would have been pleased with getting through that A-side undefeated. And you just lose in a quarterfinal, not the end of the world. So I, I think an overall good start for everybody out there. Yeah, yeah. Pretty pretty surprising for them to lose in the quarter. But like you say, it's you know, curling the way it goes sometimes. So uh, big congratulations to the winners out there. Yes. And one thing we noticed when looking at some of the streams was the complete difference in approach in Ontario versus what we saw in Alberta. In Ontario, masks were mandatory on the ice, only one sweeper. Out in Alberta, masks were not mandatory. Uh, From all reports, there were two sweepers at times there. And this isn't trying to be critical of that, just the different situations that we see across the country right now that in Ontario, it's one thing in Alberta, it's a different thing. And the the situation is shifting on a daily basis 
as we saw on Friday, if you are not living in Ontario, maybe you didn't pay attention to this, but I do live in Ontario and I'm in one of the affected areas. So I did pay close attention to this. The Ontario provincial government has decided that Ontario in Peel, Toronto and Ottawa. So basically Toronto and sort of the suburbs west of the city as well as Ottawa have gone back to a modified stage two. Why this is relevant for this podcast is that gyms and recreational facilities had to reduce their capacity. No games are allowed to be played inside recreational facilities. So what that has meant is curling facilities in these places are not allowed to have games. You're allowed to have practice if you want to, but at least in Ottawa, all of the clubs that have reported so far of what they're going to do, nobody has said that they're going to allow for practice, mostly because of the cost associated with it, of having to have somebody on staff in the building and having to go through all of the procedures in between people practicing, wiping down all the, the stones and doing all of that. So the cost is uh, prohibitive, is what the facilities here have decided. So no curling in Toronto, Peel, or Ottawa, at least until the middle of November. Yeah, they've, uh, did the Ottawa say it was November 9th, the tentative target for, for starting, which would be the Monday, Monday there, the week of Remembrance Day. And yeah, Sean, a real blow to leagues, I mean, we, we were set to go. The Rito had already started playing. They were, they had played two weeks of games yep. uh, and, and are now having to uh, stop, shut down for a bit. You know, schedules had been uh, created. Uh, all sorts of planning had been done for the season. And to have to put it on pause now, it's, it's necessary, I guess, um, given what little I know about how, uh, this virus is transmitted, you know, are the risks high at a curling club? We've talked about it before. Uh, but you know, so this is modified stage two, similar to how it was back in, uh, June, probably May, June, uh, when we went to a stage two opening, uh, but schools are still open, Sean. So I, the, the thing that I don't understand is, schools are just sort of like petri dishes of disease in normal years right uh yeah my my friends who have kids have basically been sick since their kids started going to daycare. <laughs> uh and as long as schools are still open i know that that it's not you know there's no direct transmission of covid there's not that much right uh, through schools but but I don't know how the messaging of send your kids to schools, it'll be okay, but we can't have curling clubs. I don't know how the two sort of come together in my mind. What about you? It, it Actually, it, it totally makes sense to me because if you get past, I mean, it's all well and good. Listen to your premiers if you live in Canada. Listen to what they have to say, but then really pay attention to when the medical people talk. Because whatever the premiers say is always kind of cashed in a, a certain political ideology, mm-hmm. which is the way it probably should be because they're political figures. But the medical people, the way it's been presented, certainly locally in Ottawa, uh, Vera Etches is the uh, the doctor who's in charge of this in Ottawa. 
basically what they've said was there's going to be a certain number of cases. It's just where do we want to allocate that and understanding that the medical facilities that are available have a certain capacity. So where are we willing to accept that risk and where are we not? So getting cases through something like a curling club could you know, put more people in the hospital, more people within the system that, and that's not something they're willing to do. Whereas with the school, recognizing that the, the challenges associated with having schools closed could potentially be worse than some, the, the risk of transmission within the school. So it, it's really that with sort of the risk of having everyone at home versus for schools versus the risk of having the schools open. And what they've decided is that the risk is greater in having everybody at home for for kids, whether that's associated with just the, the mental health of the students, the mental health of the parents, which I have been somewhat flipping about over the course of the summer, just the way the narrative is, has emerged in the media. Uh, I found it entertaining mm-hmm. at the very least. Uh, the, the narrative, not the actual situation, but the, the media narrative surrounding it. Mm-hmm. And just having that balance of of not everything can be open and this is what the decision has been made of the things that are quote unquote not essential and i feel for the people who whose livelihoods are based on this certainly the indoor dining is a, a major issue for a lot of folks the there's been interviews with folks who own gyms and run gyms and they're struggling right now so i don't want to be dismissive of them because the struggle for them certainly is real. And I feel for those people 100%. But when it's explained in the the realm of if we're going to have, if we can have this number of cases, recognizing that at this point, eliminating the virus in the community probably isn't tenable in the short term. Where are we okay with having, what are we okay with having open and having to prioritize that? And I just, I, I understand why schools would be at the top of that list of priorities. Okay. Yeah, uh, well said. So there you go. So that's the situation. If you don't live in Peel, Toronto, or Ottawa, uh, great. <laughs> you know, yeah, good, I good hope your leagues are getting started. <laughs> yeah, and, and certainly it's the, the situation across the country where cases are increasing in certain parts of the country, if not a lot of parts of the country. And, and on a per capita basis, the numbers aren't really great in terms of the increasing, them, them increasing aren't great. So just, you know, everyone be vigilant, everyone be careful, do the things that the medical professionals are, are recommending and be safe. So that's, that's sort of where we land on this. Yes, sir. Okay. So let's get into the actual thing we want to talk about this week. And rather than focus on all that negativity associated with uh, certainly our club closing, mm-hmm. we wanted to talk a little bit about the history of the game. I am a historian by training. That's what I do for a living. And I hate monuments, Scott. I really do. Well, maybe not monuments. I hate statues to people. Yes. You're you're Don't. very vocally against honoring people because people are uh, people, fallible. People are fallible. So let's not put up bronze versions of them on pedestals. I find that very dehumanizing. As, a, as an idea. But one of the monuments that we've been to is Mount Rushmore. And Mount Rushmore, for all of the issues associated with it, it started to be used almost as a shorthand 
in various discussions of who is the greatest of all time, people have said, well, who is the Mount Rushmore of this thing? Mm-hmm. So it's the top four people who are associated with the thing. And we wanted to do that for curling. So we've each come up with a couple versions of a Mount Rushmore for curling that we want to talk about and go back and forth and see whose is more representative of the sport. Right. And it's important to note that uh, we have specific criteria that are individual for the yes. uh, Mount Rushmores. And that's what's so great about them, right? Is that everybody can have their own opinion of the greatest for whatever in anything. And it provides endless barroom debate. Uh, somebody asked me once, like, who would you put on your Mount Rushmore of comedians? This uh-huh. was, this is probably like five years ago, six years ago. And I said, I think John Mulaney might get there. And he was like, really? What? And to me, John <laughs> Mulaney is just, he's so funny and makes me laugh hearing jokes for the 20th time. I'm still laughing at them. So uh, what I'm saying is there's lots of room for debate and I would love to hear what the listeners say are their Mount Rushmore's for either the categories we're doing or for their own categories. Yeah. So let us know. I'm going to send out a tweet asking people about their curling Mount Rushmore's. So Scott, let's start with one of yours. You have four different versions of a, of a Mount Rushmore and I have three here. So let's start with one of yours. Okay. So one of uh, the criteria that I thought I kept thinking of like, who's never won uh, a, a Briar or a Scotties. We always hear, Oh, the greatest quarterback to never win a Super Bowl. Uh, the greatest uh, baseball player to never win the World Series, you know, that those kinds of things. So I started thinking about best teams that have never won a championship. And so I did a, both a women's and a men's. I'll start with the men's because it's at the top of my sheet. Uh, so I've got four teams that have never won. And one of them might be cheating a bit, but we can uh, we can get to that when we get there. So the first men's team, greatest men's team to never win a Briar. Uh, it's got to be the McEwen team of the last 10 years. You know, Mike McEwen, BJ yep. Neufeld, Matt Wozniak, and Denny Neufeld. Uh, this team dominated the cash circuit for a good four or five years. Uh, they they racked up so much money in the fall, won so many games. And then when it came time for Manitoba playdowns, it seemed like they had a bit of a turkey coma from the Christmas break. And it took them forever and ever to get over the hump. Finally got over the hump, uh, I believe in 2018, and made it yep. to the Briar. Made the uh, 2017 uh, trials final, but just could never seem to put together that big shot at the right time uh, in the big game. So what do you think of them? Yeah, I, I agree that they're a team that was great for a long time, but yeah, they, they just never could quite, as you say, get over the hump there, whether it was Stoughton early in their career or they lost one to Reed Carruthers, I remember as well. It's just, yeah, a struggle for them getting out of Manitoba. What's weird though is when you look at some of the hype packages that Curling Canada makes, mm-hmm. they're in there a few times. Mm-hmm. Four yeah. big shots. Uh, one of the ones I remember, I can't remember who it was against, but it was a draw to the pin. Not not even the button, a draw to the pin. 
to win a game in the briar. And Mike, as he as he tends to, was trailing the rock down the ice, and they put it right on the pin, and they just go nuts. So you know they have their moments, uh, and they were a fun team to watch. But yeah, never quite were able to get over the hump. So yeah, I, I think you're right to have them there as one of the top teams that never won. Good, good. All right, the uh, next team up on my list: uh, Guy Hemmings, Pierre Charette, Guy Thibodeau, and Dale Ness. The uh, Runners up at the Briar in both 98 and 99. Yeah, popular team for sure. A lot of folks loved watching them. He, he, Guy Hemmings was and is a character. You still see him around occasionally. So, yeah, definitely a popular team. I'm curious to hear some of the other ones in terms of the best because their run was a little shorter than certainly the McEwen team's run was. But they also didn't have the same grand slams and, and cash shirk. It wasn't the same when he was playing and at his best. So it's a little different in terms of trying to assess their legacy. So I, th- so in 98, they were eight and three in the round Robin. And in 99, uh, they were also eight and three. Yeah. Tied for tied for the top spot. So that, that seems like a, a really great two year window. Obviously, you know, there it's, this list, you know, if you're a really great team, you're probably going to win a Briar over the course of ten years, right? Yeah. But, uh, so, so yeah, it's a little, a little tough for them. Okay. Because I, uh, I can immediately think of two other teams that I would put ahead of them, but let's see, let's see if they're the next two on your list. Okay. Well, that's great. Um, so I'm going to go way back in time for this one, Sean. This is uh, Bob Pee Wee Pickering. Yeah. The. Uh, the skip out of Saskatchewan. So uh, his team with Garnet Campbell, Jack Keys, and Gary Ford won the Saskatchewan Men's Championship 68, 70, and 71. And Bob Pickering was also the skip in 69 for a different team. I don't know how that worked. Uh, but in the Canadians at that time, I believe he didn't finish any lower than third Wow! Uh, in four straight years. Uh, that of course was before the advent of the the championship final. It was the top team in the round robin was was the champion. So always just getting you know like that one or two games behind uh, for this team. So I've got them up there. I I wanted to represent uh, a couple of eras, you know. Yeah, for sure. You got to. You got to. And then the the last one, maybe you might call it cheating a bit uh, because this is Jim Cotter's rank. Uh, when he had John Morris playing for him with Terrell Griffith and Rick Sawatsky. Uh, They're, they're so good. And John Morris was the key to making them as good as they were. But uh, for even now having uh, Stevie Laycock play with them instead of uh, John Morris, they're a really talented team, but just could never seem to get over the hump. Yeah. And I think they've lost ground compared to where they were relative to the field mm-hmm. seven years ago. You know, the, the field has gotten that much better and they're the same as they were in terms of skill, which is great, but there seems to have been the, you know, the rest of the field has taken a step up and they haven't, but yeah, I think Jim Cotter for sure. A yeah. Great shot maker. And I believe John Morris, when he says that, no, he was on Jim Cotter's team at the time, but I believe him when he says that he's, the coolest guy at the end of the game was just, I'm going to go throw whatever. And there's so much, he's just so relaxed. You know, he's yeah. now playing with Kevin Cooey and 
I don't know if Kevin Cooey has a setting other than relaxed, but we'll see, you know, so we'll see if that is, if remains the case, but certainly John Morris was very complimentary of Jim Cotter when they played together. Yeah. So, you know, John Morris obviously has won a lot in his career. Um, so maybe a bit of a cheat, but uh, that's my four. Okay. Ewan, Hemmings, Cotter, and Pee Wee Pickering. Okay. So the Who two teams that? that the two teams that I thought about when when you mentioned Guy Hemmings, one was that Laycock team with John Morris. The other one was you mentioned uh, Steve Laycock. Maybe those that Laycock team with the Myerses and uh, the sort of revolving door. I think Kidby was there for a while, and then eventually Dunstone. Those were some good teams that made uh, into the playoffs in the Briar. But then as you continued to talk, Scott, Guy Hemmings lost consecutive finals. Yeah. Brendan Botcher's lost three in a row. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, I think they're going to win one. So that's why I'm not, uh, I'm not going to put them on this Mount Rushmore and then have to, you know, chisel uh, (laughs) Brendan Botcher's face away to turn it into somebody else. All right. All right. That's fair. But I, I, I definitely think that we would consider that, the botcher teams, what they've done in the briar of the last three years would rank ahead of the Hemings teams. Uh, yeah, yeah. But like you say, they're coming out of Alberta a little, a little bit different and curling now versus then different. Oh yeah. Totally different for sure. For sure. So, but, uh, so that's your you. top four teams that have never won. So let me give you Scott, my top four players. Is it your favorite players or what you think are the best players. These are the top to me, the top four old school players, the, the people who really set the table for curling in Canada, at least that helped popularize it and really set up Canada to be the best in the world. Okay. So nobody current. Well, okay. It depends on how you define current. (laughs) So, uh, so my first one, Ernie Richardson. Of course. Yeah, that's just a no-brainer, right? Yeah. Next up, I have Vera Pezzer. Okay, okay. Uh, we did mention Vera Pezzer on our all-time fantasy Scotties team. Yeah, so playing out of Saskatchewan, two-time world champion, uh, and I, I picked her out of Saskatchewan ahead of Sandra Schmerler because I think Sandra Schmerler... I know she's from Saskatchewan, but I think of her as more of a national player as representing Canada. So I didn't want to have her just out of Saskatchewan in my fantasy Scotties. I wanted her to be more representative of the whole country. So I had her as the team wild card, but uh, yeah, Vera Pezzer. They won three, three uh, Canadian women's championships in a row. Yeah. So great team. And really, you know, again, that idea of, curling in Canada and, and being a, a stronghold in Saskatchewan, even if today the Saskatchewan teams aren't as competitive nationally, it still is probably the heartbed or the, the heartland of the sport at a recreational level. Mm-hmm. So you want to have some Saskatchewan representation on this. Sure. Next up, I'm going to go with Pat Ryan and the Ryan Express with those teams uh, just so good and so popular as well. They brought that energy to the sport. You know, people either loved them or they hated them, but they, they had something new. I, I feel as though they really brought the sport 
into the 80s and then the 90s. They just had that that that's something about them that took curling a little away from that old, more staid reputation that it had and helped bring it into the the later part of the 20th century. Yeah, okay, I could see that. Uh, some some characters on that team for sure. And then finally, this is the one that depends on how you define current, but I'm putting Colleen Jones here because she played in Escotties in 1984. But those teams and what she did, I, I think she's just representative of, to me at least, how longevity in the sport is possible mm-hmm. and just how people can be so passionate and so attached to the sport that they will not stop. You know, I talk a lot about Sherry Anderson as just why would Sherry Anderson stop? I mean, she's just so good. And Colleen Jones is the same thing. She played in the Nova Scotia final last year. Yeah. 36 years after her first Scotty's appearance, she played in a Nova Scotia provincial final. Uh, just incredible. And she's going to keep playing. She's not going to stop. And and as a result, you know, I don't think she's current in terms of a threat to win a world championship, but she's still playing her best days, of course, with the, the that foursome in the early part of the 2000s, but really representative of just how dominant this country has been in curling. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a, a good name there. I... I'm I'm a little surprised you you didn't put Kevin Martin uh, there, given all that Kevin Martin says he's done for curling. But uh, I, I get all four of your of your names for sure. Yeah, yeah. I wonder who Kevin Martin would put on that list. So uh, so let's move on to the uh, next one that you have, Scott. All right. So we talked about the men's teams. Let's talk about the women's teams. That's pretty easy. Uh, transition. So the women's teams, I found, I found like a little bit easier to pick out some great uh, women's teams that hadn't hadn't won a championship. And the obvious first name on the list is Cheryl Bernard. Uh, right. Her team that won the Olympic silver medal uh, in 2010. Cheryl Bernard, Susan O'Connor, Carolyn Derbyshire, and Corey Bartle. Uh, it's it's pretty surprising still to think that uh, Shannon Clybrink and Cheryl Bernard have never won Scotties, and they they went well. They went to the Olympics, like it. Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of strange. So I've got that. Yeah, don't tell don't tell Mike Harris. Uh, I guess. <laughs> Are you as surprised that Mike Harris never won a Briar? Uh, no. <laughs> so like, they changed the way that the trials were done because of Brad Gushu, I think. Right. So, yeah. Uh, but you know, Brad Gushu has since said, Hey, I, I can do it. Uh, here, here's my Canadian championships. Right. So now you're throwing even more shade at Mike Harris. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Mike Harris, uh, they were uh, pretty established. I'll say when they <laughs> went to the Olympics, <laughs> So uh, next on my list, uh, those great Marie-France LaRouche teams uh, of the early 2000s with uh, Carol Gagnon, Annie LeMay, of course, uh, and the lead sort of rotated, but I have Véronique Grégoire here. Uh, They were sort of the Jean-Michel Menard equivalent 
And I don't say that because uh, I think Jean-Michel is married to uh, Annie. Yes, I believe uh, he is. So, but not all francophones are the same, Scott. But well, but they would always show up and always compete. You know, they're always in the mix for the playoffs, just like uh, Menard was. It, you didn't see him at uh, events on TV throughout the year, uh, but but when push came to shove, you know, they were in the mix all the time. Uh, really great to watch on TV. Uh, just a real fun team. Okay. A fun team. Yeah. Uh, next, we're getting into the sort of uh, some really great skips that had teams that changed a lot. So uh, I'm going to pick a team. I'm going to say Kathy Cunningham out of Newfoundland uh, and her team from the 2003 Scotties with Peg Goss, Kathy Kerr, and Heather Martin. Okay. They, I think Peg Goss, didn't Peg Goss win one on her own too? Just in uh, terms of like her, her reputation or her resume as a player? That is a good question. Uh, look that up while I'm talking about it. And right. uh, the, Kathy Cunningham went to 16 Scotties, I believe. Uh, maybe it was 14. But an incredible n- number of Scotties. Such a great representative for Newfoundland Labrador. Uh, always sort of in contention, but uh, just couldn't quite get over the uh, over the hump. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I agree. Like Kathy Cunningham. Yeah, I, I put her on my team. I'll take her any day of the week to yeah, yeah as a first round pick for a, for a player. Just really really good. And Peg Goss played in four Scotties. Did not win one as a skip on her own, but did play with Maria Thomas. Uh, and also was a alternate for Heather Strong. For Heather Strong, yeah. So uh, I picked that Kathy Cunningham team. The next one, Sean, I couldn't, I just couldn't break the tie. So I'm going to need you to do it. Okay. I think I know which way you're leading. So uh, I've got Sherry Madaw. Yeah, that's the answer. Her team with uh, Janet Brown, Andrea Laws, and Sherry Cordina. But I've also got Sherry Anderson with Kim Hodgson, Sandra Mulroney, and Donna Gignick. It's, it's think- Madaw versus Anderson. It's a battle of the Sherry. <laughs> I think the answer is Sherry Madaw. I think that team had a longer term of being a, a really good team and having success on tour and at the, the Scotties. And of course, Sherry Madad did make it to that trials final. And I think Sherry Anderson, obviously a great player. I love Sherry Anderson uh, as a player, and I want her never to retire. But I do think that certainly later in her career, she was playing third. And therefore, I might put Sherry Madaw as more of the in the category of like greatest skip to never win than I would Sherry Anderson. So I might push back a little bit and Sherry Madaw never finished first or second at the Scotties where Sherry Anderson got the whole thing is never having won. So they couldn't have finished first. No, no, but that's why like, she didn't even finish as high as second. Okay. Like yeah, she never made a final. Yeah. So where Sherry Anderson has, so, yeah. Anyway, I'll leave that to the uh, t- to the audience to decide. 
uh, which one. So okay. going over that, recapping that again, uh, Cheryl Bernard's Olympic team, Marie-France LaRouche, early 2000s, Kathy Cunningham, early 2000s, and then either Sherry Mada or Sherry Anderson in the late 90s. Okay, good stuff. So my next one, Scott, it is broadcasters. These are people who I want to listen to when I'm watching a curling game. Ooh, I like this. So I got Don Whitman and Don Duguid from CBC. I couldn't pick between the two of them. They're they're all the same to me. There's so many Dons. CBC <laughs> had like a Don quota. Yeah, but I like just the idea of having those guys. That's those CBC crews calling games. You know, when we were growing up, it was TSN during the week, CBC on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just love those voices, all those big calls of those big shots from Sandra Schmerler, Jennifer Jones, and I'm sure there was some men who made some shots too. But <laughs> those Scotty's games with them on the call really stand out to me. So I would put the two of them on there as representing the CBC years. Okay. And then, obviously, Vic has to be on this, the voice of curling for 30-something years on TSN. Since Curling Canada went exclusively to TSN, he's had all the big shots now from Kevin Cooey in the trials in 2017, that Rachel Holman shot at the Scotties in 2016, I think it was. Uh, maybe that was 2017 as well. Yeah, they saved um, it for her. Yeah, they have uh, those shots that uh, that whole week in 2013 when Jacobs was in the trials, all those great calls of the runbacks, just so many signature moments for him. Uh, and forget, don't you can't forget like Gushu drawing to win the Briar in St. John's, mm-hmm. the shot that Pat Simmons made again, the Toronto in that briar, just so many legendary calls for Vic router. My only thing that's kind of sad is that when he had the opportunity to do the Olympics in 2010, there wasn't a signature moment. That's the only thing that bums me out. Yeah, there really wasn't. Uh, no, no, you're right. That's too bad. So, uh, so that, and then I, I wanted to put one color commentator on there. Okay. So somebody who's not doing the play by play, someone who's doing the color. And I, I sort of went back and forth trying to think about who do I think is the best to ever do it. And the person who I would want to listen to and the person who I think I learned the most from as a color person. And I, I think it's Linda Moore. Mm-hmm. So I'm putting Linda Moore on there as the best color person to have ever done it. And part of that is that she somehow dealt with Ray for all those years, but she was just so smart about the sport in all aspects, not just rock positioning. She was one of the first to talk about times on air. Mm-hmm. She really smart understanding the, the sweeping, the, the way sweeping works, the angle of the brushes, releases she could dissect a release better than anybody else so she was she was just so good at picking up on those little things so i think it's linda moore is the best color person to ever do it yeah as you were uh starting to discuss there sean i i was thinking oh, i wonder who he's gonna pick and as soon as you said the person i learned the most from i thought oh it's linda moore for sure she was uh like a pioneer in all those things you mentioned also talking of the control zone in front of the house, you know, you want to have control of that. Uh, Just, yeah, a really great, uh, 
broadcaster and curling mind. Yes. And I miss her greatly on the broadcast. Yeah. So, uh, so those are my four Vic Router, Don Duguid, Don Whitman, and Linda Moore as the four top broadcasters in curling history. As of course we are skewing very Canadian here, but uh, that's okay. So who do you got next, Scott? Oh boy. So next, Sean, why don't we just go with my favorite players? Yeah, let's do it. My favorite players. Uh, I've got my favorite players and one-time Nationals participants. Oh, my God. All right, let's do one-time Nationals participants because it's coming off of, uh, you know, teams that haven't won. Yeah. All right, so uh, one-time Nationals players. I have two men, two women. Yeah. Uh, First man in the list and first man in our hearts. Uh, Greg Smith of Newfoundland. (laughs) Yeah. Running for city council in St. John's right now. Yeah. uh, Just like a huge personality. I think everybody uh, really liked what he brought to the game. Maybe not his opponents, not so much, but the screaming, the passion, the slamming the broom, you get it all when you're Greg Smith, you got the, uh, the newbie accent. (laughs) Just, uh, just great. All time. Great. Yeah, I think if you were making the list of the most entertaining people to ever play in a briar, even though he was only he's only been in one so far, he it, it's hard to get more than more entertaining than Greg Smith. Pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh on the women's side, moving over to the women's side, uh, Kristen Foster played second for Team Chelsea Carey in 2014. Okay. Hasn't been back to a Scotty since. As far as I don't, I know, I don't even know if she's trying. Uh, she was such a steady presence at second uh, for Chelsea Carey that year. Also, she's really tall. I think she's like <laughs> six one. Yeah. Uh, and I just remember her, her expression never changing, no matter if it was, you know, Chelsea's screaming at them to sweep or uh, she's got to make a big shot, just sort of stone faced all the time. Uh a real solid competitor and uh, one that I'd like to see back. At All right. This guy. Okay. At, at I like that. Uh, give, give a little front end love. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll keep the front end love going, Sean, with uh, Andra Harmark. Of course, uh, uh, Kirsten Harmark, uh, now Kirsten Wall. Uh, yeah. Uh, quite a few Scotties with uh, Sherry Anderson and then as the alternate for Jennifer Jones. Uh, when, yeah, Sherry Mada, she played with. Oh, that yes, I said Sherry Anderson. See, I got too many Sherrys on on me. <laughs> uh, and she went to the Olympics in 2014 with uh, Jennifer Jones as well as the fifth player. But her sister Andra made her one and only Scotty's appearance in 2008 as the lead for a Sherry Mada team, where Kirsten played third. And uh, our parents know uh, the Harmarks and have curled with them for a long time. So I thought yeah. let's, let's give Andra some love. Uh, yeah. And that 2008 Scotties was in Regina and I was living in Regina at the time. I actually watched games with the Harmarks during that week. Yeah. So, so you must've uh, met Andra and Kirsten in the, in the uh, patch after the heart stop. Yeah, I, I did. It was still the heart stop lounge. Then I did. I had a big Ontario flag with me when we were playing. And uh, I believe that team signed it. I do have it around here somewhere. An Ontario flag signed by the 2008 Sherry Madaw team. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So, all right, we've got Greg Smith, 
Kristen Foster, Andrew Harmark. Sean, I'm going to round it out with the big man that everybody loves, Gerald Shimko. Yeah. That, I, yeah. Well, you mentioned Guy Hemmings already. I don't know how you could have Guy Hemmings on something without Shimko. <laughs> yeah. Well, Guy, Guy Hemmings, you know, he, uh, he made the Briar more than once, but yeah, Gerald Shemko, there's that great shot of sort of Guy Hemmings looking at shots and Shemko behind him towering over him by like three feet. I, I feel like he's yeah. six, seven or something. He's a very tall man and a very big man, very sturdy out there on the ice. So one, well, he has to be sturdy out in Saskatchewan. If you're out in the field, if you know, you, if you're not sturdy, you're getting blown over. So, yeah. I mean, that's just the defense thing. A stiff wind might uh, take you down if you're not sturdy enough, but not Shimko. One Briar appearance in 1999 shot 81%. His team finished third in the field and lost the semi semifinal to, uh, the aforementioned Guy Hemming. So yes. uh, what, a, what a great job in Saskatchewan lore. <laughs> he must be uh, the gentle giant of the prairies. Yeah. Sort of one of those uh, sort of cult favorites, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's like what Eddie McKenzie would be if Eddie McKenzie went once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's a fair way to look at it for sure. <laughs> I went once and made it to the playoffs. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I, I do wonder though, Scott, if out of Saskatchewan, did Joel Jordison have a more memorable Briar experience? Yeah, his by uh, no by, by no by nothing he did, but just as a more memorable Briar competitor. Well, his face gets replayed on TV. I would say just as much as uh, Gerald Shimko's does. Yeah, but also like you know. Shimko for a Guy Hemmings shot and Jordison for a Glenn Howard shot. Yeah. I, I, ooh, it's tough though. Yeah. I think recency bias would point towards uh, Joel Jordison. Yeah. It was a great shot. It was a great shot. For sure. So th- those yeah. are my four Greg Smith, Chris, Kristen Foster, Andrew Harmark, and Gerald Shimko. I like it. I like it. I, <laughs> over the weekend, there was a few tweets about tweet out a random Scotty's competitor tweet out a random Briar competitor. And one of them of course was the, was it the, the rock star of curling out from PEI, the guy who went with uh, Adam Casey that one year. How do we not include him on this list of one time? You're right. The guy who played in like a rec league. Yeah. He played for like two years. Yeah. That's like uh, my friend Tim had never curled, and we were going to take him as our fifth to the BC Junior Provincial Playdowns. Yeah. And uh, there was a power outage, and the event got shifted, and there wasn't enough room in the car to take Tim. He was devastated. <laughs> would he have gotten in? Because this guy got into games. Yeah, I don't think he would have gotten in. I did take so, him once to show him how to slide so that he wouldn't embarrass himself, but still <laughs> so what's uh, what do you have left sean so i have the top four people who i think have helped popularize curling Ooh, i like this and, and made curling more accessible to broader audiences now certainly there's going to be recency bias in here because of how old i am mm-hmm. but I, I just 
these were the first four that immediately came to mind for me. So this is different than from the first one in the sense the first one was sort of Old school. historic view. Yeah, the establishing of Canada as the dominant force in curling. Right. This is a broader popularizing of the sport. And certainly a lot of this is recent in the fact that social media helps popularize the sport and the Olympics generates a lot of mainstream attention for curling. For sure. So, Vic. Vic will be on this list for me because it's Vic. And I love Vic. Too Vic. And uh, yeah, Vic, Vic, if I was just doing a, a top people curling Mount Rushmore of just the most influential people in the sport of all time, Vic is on it for me. Okay. I think just go back to when TSN didn't have any Scotties or any Briar. The, the protest and the petitions weren't necessarily about wanting to watch more because the even though you know country canada that whole fiasco mm-hmm. the protest and the petitions were i want vic i want to listen to vic that's part of the reason why people were upset and i think vic just offers that that level of familiarity that comfort his voice is just so iconic so i put vic on this i like it he's uh like you say he's very important very iconic so after Vic, I have Sandra Schmerler. I think that team just captured everybody's hearts in 1996, seven and eight. The fact that her name was Schmerler and it rhymes with curler, really just the, the media loved that. And that was on every news report, the Schmerler, the curler thing. So they just generated so much attention. Being a Saskatchewan team, I really do think helped for the rest of the country, just attaching themselves to them because what is objectionable about Saskatchewan? You know, there's, especially in the nineties, people loved just the sort of down home feel of that team, the every woman identity that they had. And certainly the, the tragedy that followed just brought so much affection to her and to the rest of the team and the legacy of, Sandra Smurler and the Sandra Smurler Foundation, it just continues to grow every year. They the the telethon during that first Sunday of the Scotties continues to break records on what they raise. And to me, it just continues her legacy of bringing more people into the sport. And it represents everything that we want this sport to be. It's not always what that is, but it represents what we want it to be. Is just people coming together. There's a community of folks who are supportive and it's it's a community of love and respect and that's exemplified in that foundation so not only what she achieved during her career but the legacy that is associated with that foundation absolutely i uh i'm with you there so after sandra schmerler i'm going with thomas oldrude but maybe it shouldn't actually be thomas oldrude uh who whoever picked out the pants christopher Sva. Yeah, it probably should be Christopher Sva as opposed to Thomas Olgerud. But the attention that the pants got in 2010 and subsequently, that just generated so much attention. That was the first time that curling really owned the social media 
space during the Olympic Games. Mm. And you could argue that during 2014 and 2018, it did as well. But it started in 2010 with the pants. Those pants just were so in the psyche of everyone as they they paid attention to the sport and knew it got mainstream news attention, which is insane. It, they're a great team, but the pants were what got the attention. Mm-hmm. Certainly the pants dance didn't hurt either. Yep. So I, I think the Ulzru team, Christopher's father, those pants have to be recognized as generating a lot of mainstream attention and growing the popularity of the sport. Yeah, Sean, I was in the building when the chant of we like your pants, we <laughs> like your pants broke out uh, at the Olympics in 2010. And it is one of the more surreal things I've ever experienced. Uh, people chanting about liking somebody's pants. Well, they're good pants. They're good pants. Yeah, yeah. Good pants. And like you say, uh, did really help bring some notoriety to the sport uh, at those 2010 games. So uh, on the Mount Rushmore itself, would we have like a pair of pants carved into the mountain or would we have uh, the whole team sort of doing the dance? No, maybe the pants. I think just the pants. Just the pants. I like it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. With the Norwegian flag on them somewhere. Yeah. It'd be fine. Okay. Uh, And then the last one going very recent, John Schuster. From all accounts, the growth of the sport in the United States after the Olympic gold medal. And the work that those four guys, uh, five now, if you inclu- include Christopher Plies, who who has done a lot, uh, even though he wasn't on that team, the work that those guys have done to help grow the sport, to support the grassroots level in the United States, I really don't think that can be overstated. And all of it goes back to winning that gold medal. So John Schuster, I think, has to be there for what he did for the sport in the United States and continues to do. So I would put Schuster on that list as well. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, We talked about that uh, quite a bit when we went over their their little film. So obviously, obvious uh, choice for... Yeah, so so your next one, Scott, you said it's your top four favorite players. So as we've been talking, I've been trying to think of mine as well. So you go first on this for your top four favorite players. Okay. Uh, so my top four favorite players, uh, it's going to start with John Morris. I know I've said it a lot on this show. Uh, he, you know, he was, he's a couple of years older than me. Uh, was a, was like a junior star when I was trying to, you know, get good at junior curling. Uh, I just, he's like such a competitor. Uh, I know he's kind of, he kind of plays the way I do, right? Like I uh, can get kind of annoyed sometimes. But uh, just like one of the all-time greats. So Johnny yeah. O, number one. Yeah, no question in terms of all-time greats. Yeah. yeah. So uh, next up, uh, Suzanne Goody from PEI, now Suzanne Burt. Uh, sort of fell in love with this team, Sean, in uh, 2003. The Scotties in, uh, in Kitchener, Waterloo. Yeah. I, I was, you know, in university trying to get my dorm mates interested in curling. So I would sit in our lounge with the curling on, uh, reveling at what this uh, Suzanne Goody team was able to do in their first experience. You know, they were like straight out of juniors and then fresh on the scene. It was new. 
Uh, it was nice to see somebody young curling. Uh, yeah. As silly as that sounds now, uh, because, you know, the game is young. Uh, back in the late 90s, like we talked a lot about, you know, Sherry Madaw and Sherry Anderson, uh, her team, like I think Heather Godberson, uh, now Heather Nedowin was kind of like the, the the new young player on the scene. So, so yeah, it was just kind of exciting to see. And they put on a real great show and I've cheered for them ever since. And now she's putting every rock in play. So still a fun team to watch when it comes to the Scotties. If someone is going to score an eight ender in the Scotties, my money's on Suzanne Burt. Yeah, I think, I think they could do it. You're you're not wrong. So next up on my list, uh, another female player, one of the all time greats we saw, I don't know if you saw this, there, there's a movie trailer coming out about her, and it's Krista McCarvel. Yes, I'm very excited to watch this trailer. <laughs> yeah, Krista McCarvel, uh, one of the, the all time best players that's been at the Scotties. She is on the list of best uh, to never win. For sure. Uh, s- super nice. I, I speak uh, of the experience that I was holding their sign at the trials and they were super friendly to me uh joking around and then when i saw her at the at the patch after she's like you're the reason we lost because you held her <laughs> uh so great competitor uh when i heard about the plane crash on last year my my heart like literally jumped into my throat i was i was like so panicked for yeah. a bit and uh, really glad that they all came out of that uh, relatively unscathed. So uh, looking forward, it, I mean, we'll see if the Scotties and Thunder Bay happens. But uh, for them to be there and be the host team would be just like an incredibly fun week, I think. Yeah, the crowd would be behind them all week. I don't know if we've seen a Northern Ontario team in a northern ontario national championship with you know the the love and affection that you get certainly i mean gushu in in st john's is one thing or any saskatchewan team in, in saskatchewan but i do think that that one would have a comparable level to a saskatchewan team in terms of the home ice advantage i don't think we're ever going to see anything like gushu again but mm-hmm. it's always fun when you get that saskatchewan uh, a competitive Saskatchewan team in a Saskatchewan hosted event. And I think that's what we would see at the Scotties in Thunder Bay. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be really fun, really fun. And I'll round out my list, Sean, uh, with someone that's not been on the scene as much uh, the last couple of years. Uh, Matt Wozniak. Uh, we talked about yeah. him as part of Mike McEwen's team. Uh, I, and I talked about how, you know, John Morris was kind of the player I wanted to be when I was young. And Matt Wozniak is the kind of player I want to be now. Uh, super steady, uh, makes his shots, doesn't uh, talk a lot. I know it'll be tough for me, right? But uh, <laughs> it's it just like such a, a really steady presence. And I'm excited to see him on uh, Team Gunlickson this year. Yeah, so, for sure. So we'll, we'll have to, you know, hope for a season so we can see that. So Matt Wozniak's my fourth. Okay, nice, nice. So my criteria for deciding on my favorite players, I have my favorite players on who I cheer for in a national championship 
is entirely based on who I want to see on TV for an additional week. Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not they can win the uh, event, the world championship, is completely secondary to me as the television entertainment value I get from that person. Or, or at the very least, do I find them objectionable to watch on TV? Because there are some teams that I find it very difficult to watch their games. Yes. So that is always how I associate with it. So my four people or my four favorite players really are, for me, associated with who do I really like to watch? Who do I find entertaining when I turn on a curling game? So let's have it. So my first one, and I know a lot of people don't like watching her on TV for some reason, I really like watching Jennifer Jones play. I, I like the way she commands the game. I like the way she calls the game compared to a lot of other women's teams who like to ease into it. You know, there, there's a lot of stats about how women tend to blank the first end at the competitive level. She's going all in. She's not scared of rocks in play. She's not afraid of the big shot, runbacks, doubles. I like watching that team play. Certainly the, the front end was always a big part of that for me. Jill Officer is a very entertaining player. Uh, and Caitlin Laws is really good as well. I do think the team dynamic and the entertainment value got better with Caitlin Laws versus Kathy Overton Clapham. Although, whenever Kathy O and Jennifer Jones were throwing, one of them would call the sweepers on, the other one would call the sweepers off. 100% of the time, they did not agree on the call while the shot was in motion, which was super fun and entertaining mm -hmm. to listen to. But I think overall, the team is a little more entertaining with Caitlin Laws. So, I, I'm just I can watch her and that team's games all the time. So for me, Jennifer Jones has to be on that list. Right on. So you watched all the streaming this weekend, then? <laughs> yeah, I was very invested in uh, the Stu Cells in Toronto. Cool. So let's uh, move on. One of my favorite players uh, on the men's side of all time is Wayne Madaw. Yeah. And this is tough whether it's Wayne Madaw or Richard Hart, but I think it's Wayne Madaw because the way he calls line is hilarious. He always is kind of laughing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, whether or not he wants you to sweep it hard or to get off, he sort of laughs as he does it. It's like, whoa, ha, 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 or ha, 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 hard. Like, <laughs> he, he, seems yeah. like, he just seems like he's having such a good time. And he's just always throwing from the hip as well when he's throwing the hard ones. It's, I, I think it's a lot of fun. And certainly his resume is somebody who's won world championships at various positions is incredible. Yeah. So I agree, agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. So next up in terms of, again, entertaining entertainment value for me, who do I want to watch play? I am putting Jeff Stoughton on this list as well. Mm. Uh, in those years where it was Martin and Howard going back and forth, I was always happy to see Jeff Stoughton games as just a respite from the, the rest of the field. Just always came across as just a really nice guy, fun to, to watch him throw, had the great runbacks. He could throw the doubles. And every game that he was on TV, he would always throw in a spinorama, it felt like. Um, and, and he had that underdog aspect to him as well. He was never really the favorite 
you know, when you think about those events and it was Martin Howard and then, ooh, like who is Jeff Stout going to play for third place? Mm-hmm. So you had that form and he also was there during those uh, Furby years. So, yeah, I, I was just always a big fan of Jeff Stout as a player. All right. I buy that. And then the last person for me, again, who I just really always like to watch to see what's going on, just to sort of see how they are playing the game, what their mindset is. We've already mentioned her, but Sherry Anderson, I I love watching Sherry Anderson play, particularly when she's a third. I think she's just a great third, always positive, always into the game. She's kind of like John Morris in the, the area where she never stops talking. Mm-hmm. about what's going on, where the rocks are, what the ice is doing. And that makes for an entertaining television product to have somebody who's just always going. And because they're mic'd up, she's not doing it to let the audience know. That's just how she plays. But when you're mic'd up, you are also letting the audience know what's going on. So I find that as a television viewer, informative, and it increases my enjoyment of the game. Yeah, it really does help sort of uh, maybe the novice t- curling watcher as well sort of yeah. orient themselves to, Oh, okay. That's what they're trying to do. She is very good at communicating uh, on the ice. And I think that's why her career has lasted as long as it has. For sure. Also the fact that she's out of F's and uh, it's just going to play. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a great, that's good, Sean. So there you have it. Everybody Our various Mount Rushmore's associated with curling. Pick a category. Let us know what you think of who your top four people are in whatever category of Mount Rushmore you want to create. We would love to know. I am very interested to hear because, like I said at the beginning, everybody is different and everybody will have their own opinions. So nobody's wrong when it comes to your personal Mount Rushmore's. Yeah, the only question is if you can have uh, if, if if cloning is real, and you can have four Kevin Martins on one. So that's really the only thing that's up for debate. So that'll do it for this week's episode. Again, let us know what you think on social media or by email. You can find us at Game of Stones Pod on Twitter and Instagram, Game of Stones Podcast at Gmail dot com for emails. Just let us know what you think. You can also find us gameofstonespod.com where we do have the merch still available. If you want to go buy a t-shirt from us, three colors of the gray, the red, and black. All proceeds are going to Food Banks Canada because we crossed into October. Scott, you went in and put in more money. You put it all. We're doing this monthly as the donation. So you did that for October. Yeah, a uh, another $200 uh, into Food Banks Canada. Um as you know, the the time is passing, and uh, with the lockdown still ongoing, and everybody you know might be you know a little hurting for money, we're gonna do the next one around the holiday season because that's another time when the food bank really uh, needs a lot of donations. So uh, go to gameofstonespod.com, uh, check out the uh, merchandise there, and the donation that we are, we will make using the proceeds from that and matching funds will, will come around the Christmas season. Yeah. So, uh, so check that out and we're up to, I think like $700 in that area in total donations so far. So thank you everybody for supporting that initiative and uh, we'll keep, keep it going as we move forward. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to our friends at rock solid productions and rocks and rings. They sent us some masks 
Ooh, so yes. uh, I modeled one of them on our live show last week. The Rocks and Rings one has like a plaid. And then I checked out the Rock Solid Productions one today, which has their logo on a black mask. So thank you to them. And certainly check out everything going on with the Rocks and Rings program, especially in this time. If you need stuff for the kids, uh, get them into the sport. This is a great opportunity to do that. So check that out, rocksandrings.com. What did you think of the mascot? I haven't uh, had a chance to wear them yet, but uh, okay. I'm looking forward to it. Next time I venture out of my house. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. So uh, we, we thank them for that. And also, please do check us out every Monday, 5 o'clock Eastern time with our friends from Rocks Across the Pond. You can find all of our past sessions on Mondays. They tend to be general chats with a broad theme that runs through them. Next Monday, the 19th of October, I think, we'll be talking about franchises that have moved, sports franchises that have, have moved. Where do the historical records properly go? Who gets mm-hmm. them? So uh, we'll be talking about that, amongst some other things. If there's any breaking news in the world of curling, we do tend to touch on that. But uh, for the most part, it's general sports talk on Mondays with our friends from Rocks Across the Pond. So facebook.com slash Game of Stones pod for those. Yeah, those are always fun. Yeah, so uh, that will do it for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please do subscribe wherever it is you get your podcast, do the likes, the ratings, all that good stuff keeps the show going. And we'll be back with you again next week. But until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.